This series that we're in is about seeing our lives as bread that Jesus takes in his hands, blesses, breaks, and gives for the life of the world. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about how difficult it is to imagine our ordinary common lives as actually being blessed and sacred and holy. Last week, we explored how our sin and suffering make it feel like our brokenness disqualifies us from uh, having something to offer to this world. Yet when we surrender our story to Jesus, we are blessed by having our identity recovered and restored. And our brokenness becomes openness to God's grace. And we become channels of grace. But there's one word in this series that I want to talk about this morning. It is the word given. When God blesses our lives and deals with our brokenness, then we can be given in service to this world. In other words, God uses you and me to build up His kingdom and chooses to do so. But before I talk about that, I want, to, I want you to hear what God has done in uh, the work of ministry in the life of one of our members named Stephen Hammond. He's going to talk about this blessing, broken, giving experience through the lenses of the walk to Emmaus, a powerful retreat that has impacted the lives of many, many people here at Anderson Hills. I attended my retreat in 1994, and I've never been the same. Let's look at this video of Stefan. I've been a Christian since I was in the third grade and, you know, various levels back and forth through life. But going to Emmaus, I think, really reconnected uh, my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think it did so for my wife as well. And for her to experience that and us to have that together. Uh, I feel like through times in my life, I realized that God was just always right there with me. And Emmaus made me feel that presence again and that he's, he was always there and he is there every day. Being at Emmaus and in that environment and hearing and seeing how other people were broken and blessed by God and them pouring out made me revisit some, some things that I needed to take care of and to be able to go there and lay those things down and once again just feel the true, full forgiveness of God, that you don't carry around that burden, that you leave your burden at the cross, that you don't have to carry that anymore. It's, it's an uplifting experience and it, it's something that you definitely want to share with other people. And now that I've been broken and I feel that I can let God do what he wants with those pieces. I feel that um, he, he's blessed my life and he's, I, I see how he blesses others. And, and now that I can get by those things, I can see his purpose for me and I can go out and I can give, whether that's shooting a video here or uh, doing other things in life. I feel like uh, I'm not hindered. The relationship is not hindered. My actions are not hindered. And uh, I, I can go out and, and find my talent and my purpose. I strongly encourage everybody to consider going to a mass. There's something there for everybody, whether it's somebody who barely knows Jesus or knows about Jesus, to 
uh, pastors that have went. Uh, there, there's truly something there for everybody. And it's an awesome experience just to be there and to feel loved by people and then by God and to be, uh, to feel that forgiveness and the ability to, to take it and use it in your life. I strongly recommend uh, that everybody considers going to Mass. It, it can be a truly life-changing experience. I know that dude. I golf with him. And I know that he has given to this world his nourishment. Stefan is an amazing man. He serves in our, our youth ministry. And uh, I'm the guru here at the church with Emmaus. In fact, my wife texted me on the way over from Salem um, as I preached there this morning that we had a woman that said, said tell your husband I want to go on the walk to Emmaus. Uh, uh, September, we have a men's retreat coming up. And then in November, there's a women's retreat coming up. So if you're interested, you come and see me, and I'll personally see that you get there. This week, like I said, I want to talk to you about the word given. Our lives are given to the world as nourishment. Do you see yourself that way? Think about it. God gives and gives and gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God desires for you to give to the world. In his book, Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen writes, It is sad to see that our highly competitive and greedy world, we have lost touch with the joy of giving. giving. We often live as if our happiness depended on having. But I don't know anyone who is really happy because of what he or she has. True joy, happiness, and inner peace comes from giving ourselves to others, Henry writes. I enjoy the movie, Groundhog Day. Bill Murray portrays Phil Connors, a cynical television weatherman covering the annual Groundhog Day event at Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil becomes trapped in a time loop, forcing him to relive Groundhog Day, February 2nd, repeatedly. As Phil goes through this time loop, he begins to think he's going crazy, but then things begin to change. Realizing that there's no consequences for his actions, Phil begins spending his daily time loops indulging in binge eating and one-night stands and robbery and other dangerous activities. Using his increasing knowledge of the day's events and the town residents to manipulate circumstances to his selfish advantage. Eventually, Phil begins to sink into a deep depression and he kills himself numerous times only to wake up to I Got You Bay by Sonny and Cher each morning. <laughs> Stuck in Groundhog Day. Then something changes. He begins to focus on Rita. Rita who is a benevolent co-worker and he eventually falls in love with her. Rita encourages him to think of the loops as a blessing instead of a curse. Phil decides to use his knowledge of the loop to change himself and others. He saves people from deadly accidents. He learns to play the piano. He learns to sculpt ice. He learns to speak French. He goes around elevating people into a higher reality through his newfound gifts. And how does he get out of that time loop? 
love. Love pulls him out. He gives himself unselfishly to the world and lives for the benefit of others, especially his co-worker, Rita. You see, our greatest fulfillment, like Phil, lies in figuring out how to give ourselves to others. When we give ourselves to others, it pulls us up out of the mundane. It pulls us up out of Groundhog Day. After all, my friends, life gets redundant when we're just living for ourselves. It's fun for a while, but we're made for so much more. You are made for so much more. What if you could see your life as given by God to others for the sake of the world? If your life, think about it, if your life is given for your children, then it is the love for your children that leads you to that place. And it also can be here at Anderson Hills, serving at our community dinners at Salem, or serving in our children's ministry or whiz kids. There's a red tower out in the atrium that has cards with all kinds of various ways in which you can give yourself over to ministry here at Anderson Hills, inside and outside the church. You see, when we spend our time loving on behalf of Christ, it carries us through those dark nights and lonely hours and all that life throws at us. It helps us find deeper purpose in the midst of life's crazy rat race. There's nothing like serving Jesus. There's nothing like being bread in his hands, given for the world. John's gospel tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples three times. First, on Easter evening, and then eight days later in Galilee, John also tells us that Jesus did so many incredible things that all the books of the world could not hold all that he had done. Couldn't contain that. And now we tend to assume that the disciples were immediately changed on that first Easter Sunday morning when they saw the risen Christ. But we have the benefit of hindsight. They did not, my friends. It took them a bit of time to understand and live into the miracle of the resurrection. Of all the disciples, perhaps the resurrection was most awkward for Peter. I mean, the last thing Peter did before the crucifixion was deny Jesus three times. And can you imagine how horrible you would feel if you were Peter? Jesus even told him that he was going to deny him three times. And Peter, true to form, made a fool of himself, and he swore that it would never happen. But we know in heartache that it did. So now Jesus is alive, which is awesome. But where do you stand if you're Peter? Judas is dead. You might feel dead to Jesus. Why would he... want to see you, much less uh, let you be his disciple. So what did Peter do? He goes back to his old occupation. He goes back to fishing. It was logical because that, that was his trade, and he needed to make some money. But I think there's more to it. There's more to this story. Maybe Peter felt that he had lost it all that night when he denied knowing Jesus. Maybe Peter was too covered in shame 
for it to matter. You might as well just try to go off and live a quiet life, not being given to the world anymore and being a part of a smaller story. Lacking the purpose he once had fishing for people, he went back to fishing for fish. And he probably didn't see himself. Like I said, given for the world again. So he and a few other disciples, uh, they get back into the boat and they fished one night. They fished all night. They caught nothing, my friends. Now you have to understand how crazy that is. These guys were fishing experts. They were professionals. They fished with big nets all night long. And do you know how unlikely it is that you catch zero nil fish? It's not just some random guy sitting out there with a fishing pole. These guys were casting large nets off the side of their boat. They made a living catching fish. So to get shut out just doesn't happen. But God, I believe, worked that miracle as a part of all this calling of Peter. There's one more time. That day that Peter would never forget. You remember it? I want to talk to you about that day that Peter met Jesus. Peter and the boys, the same thing happened. They fished all night. They got shut out again. No fish. They're tired. They're crabby. They're folding up their nets. And then this rabbi comes along and crowds come to him to hear him speak. So he hops, this rabbi named Jesus hops into his boat and begins to teach. And then Jesus sends Peter back out into the water to fish. And he says, this time, fish on the other side of the boat. You can only imagine Peter's thoughts. You've got to be kidding me, man. I'm the pro fisherman. You're the rabbi. You're the preacher. You don't know anything about fishing. The sun is up. The fish are snoozing. And they could care less which side of the boat you fish from. But sure, because you say so, I will do it, rabbi. And then, bam, it happened. The nets were filled with fish. More fish, more fish than they could handle. And that's started to break. And Peter finally says, go away, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy being in your presence. But Jesus is not having it. In Luke 5.10, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Those words, my friends, they changed Peter's life. He dropped the nets, and he followed Jesus, and he never looked back until now. He had failed Jesus. He took himself out of the game. Why on earth would Jesus want Peter back after what he had done denying him? So even after Peter saw the risen Christ, he still went back to fishing for fish. After all, it's safer. He'll never deny knowing a fish, right? <laughs> Maybe that's your story too. I know it, at times it becomes my story. Years ago, maybe you're, you're, you, you, you said Jesus changed your life. He forgave you. He saved you. And you were so in love with him. And you said to him, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll read the Bible. I'll love my neighbor. I'll serve. I'll give. I'll worship. I'll worship you, Jesus. You're so worthy. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Bless me. Break me. And give me as bread to the world. But then something happened. Maybe it was an unanswered prayer. Maybe a tragic loss. A failure, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, an abuse, a divorce, 
an affair, the brokenness, the disappointment, the loneliness. Or maybe it just was a slow fade into spiritual apathy. Maybe this faith stuff isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe that's for the real super spiritual person, but I can't be one of them. I'm a sinful person. Stay away. Go away, Jesus. I'll go back to fishing. Thank you very much. It's safer. I don't need to rely on the Holy Spirit power. I can do this on my own. Maybe you're there today. If that's you, my friend, I want you to know that there is hope. You may have given up on Jesus, but here's the reality. Jesus has not given up on you. Know this. I know this because I read in the scriptures right there that Jesus didn't give up on Peter. Here's how it went down. Peter, like I said, has gone back to fishing after the resurrection. He gets deja vu. And that day, three years earlier, again, when he hears those words. And once again, they fish all night long. And the pros get shut out again. Like I said, no fish. They're tired. They're crabby. And, and they've spent three years fishing for people. And now they go back to fishing for fish. But from a distance... They see this guy on the shore. In John 21, 5 through 6, it says, He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. There's a big pause in the story here, isn't there? Peter looks at John. He says, You've got to be kidding me. It's him? Could it be Jesus? He's back with that old, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat gag again, where he makes us look like fools. But what happens? Look at this. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. God shows that miracle. So Peter is so overcome that he jumps into the water and he swims to the shore, leaving the other disciples to drag in the big haul of fish behind the boat to the shore. They probably said, thanks a lot there, jack wagon. <laughs> but this time, Jesus is cooking. Jesus is giving. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. He's made breakfast for them. And none of the disciples, it says, dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. More deja vu. When he gave loaves and fish at the feeding of the 5,000, they remembered that probably. When he gave the bread and the cup just the days earlier at the Last Supper, they remembered that. Blessed, broken, given, Jesus is doing it again. But it's not just bread that is given, my friends. It's the disciples themselves that are about to be given. John 21. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Why does Jesus bring this up? Remember what we said last week? You can't go around brokenness, my friends. You can only go through brokenness. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, you know the story, Jesus. You know it all. You know that I love you. Peter's pain is personal for many of us. For we too, we too have denied Jesus. Maybe with our words, maybe with our actions, maybe with our inaction, maybe with our apathy, maybe with our idolatry. We put our lifestyle or our hobbies or our relaxation in front of Jesus. And to us today, Jesus asks us, do you love me? And if we say yes, he says to us today, feed my sheep, feed. You know, we've been the sinner, the one whose actions have denied Jesus. We've been willfully, or maybe willfully broken his law, and we need his forgiveness. And to us, Jesus still asks, in that, do you love me? Then care for my lambs. We've been the failure, the disappointment, the quitter. We've had so many chances to be given by Jesus in ministry for the sake of the world, but we take ourselves out of the game. We quit fishing for people, and we go back fishing for fish. We want to stay in our warm comfort zone. Jesus asks us today, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Why does he do it three times? Peter would say, why reinstate me? Well, because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about Peter. It's all about love for Jesus. I tell you what, when I love on Jesus, it fills me with an incredible love. And I love you. I love you, man. I do. It fills me with love for others around me and those people right in front of me. And the same happens for you. Those three repetitions of the question corresponded to Peter's threefold denial. And the most significant bit, however, is, is the one hidden in plain sight. It's a restorative, a call-renewing conversation that Jesus asked Peter simply, repetitively, and piercingly. Do you love me? Not do you love the sheep. Not do you love my teachings. Not do you love yourself. Not do you love purpose and mission. The question was simply, do you love me? When Jesus first called Peter three years earlier, he said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. A new person, a new essence, a new life was given to him. Peter, I'll lift you up out of a life of normality. I'll sweep you up in the greatest story ever told. I'll give you a role in my kingdom, arriving on earth as it is in heaven. I'll make you a participant, not a recipient. recipient. After all, my friends, that's what it means to be given. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus above all else? 
You know, lesser loves may lead you to begin the following Jesus, make you even want to serve Jesus, but those things cannot sustain you. The love of meaning and mission and purpose in the church will not, uh, will not keep you surrendering and serving. Only a deep, abiding love for Him will do that. And Jesus meets us at this table. He invites you to this table. And He asks that question to you and to me. Do you love me? And He says, remember my love. Remember my sacrifice. Remember that I searched you out, that I came on the shoreline of your heart to pull you out of the mundane and give you a life given over to this world. 